things I want to mention before we look at the Word of God in reading this morning. Um, first of all, I want to emphasize the counselor training session that's planned for October the 20th and November the 10th. And the book that needs to be purchased is called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands by Paul Tripp. And so you can probably look on internet and find that for $15 or less. So purchase that and begin reading that for the class and there is no charge for the class at all. So let's take advantage of that. It's an opportunity for us to, to uh, glean our skills in helping each other in the Word of God. Also, I want to mention that uh, we have a box in the back on, in the uh, foyer. There is a, uh, it's actually a mail slot, and you can take cards there and write your questions for Sunday school. So if you have questions about our catechism or Sunday school questions or even Bible questions um, that come up from any of our services, you can write those in. We're going to take, we're going to collect those on Wednesday night, and then on Sunday night, we're going to go over answers to any questions that are posted. So the cards are there for questions, for questions only. Don't take them for notes for other things. Use them for questions. I've instructed people if they find you taking these cards and you're not putting questions on them, they are to smack your wrist so that those cards are used for questions only. Thank you. All right. Let's take a look at God's Word this morning in Colossians chapter 3, continuing our series. We're going to be reading verses 9 through chapter 4, verse 1. So turn there in your Bibles with me. If you don't have your own Bible, our, we have Bibles available in the back, and so raise your hand if you would like one of the ushers to bring you a Bible. Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 9. Let's all stand then in respect to the reading of God's Word. Colossians 3, starting at verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those 
who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus. Excuse me, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. May the Lord give us understanding in this section of scripture we'll be preaching from this morning. If you would remain standing with me and just bow for a moment of prayer. So Father, we thank you for this time together. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you would give us, um, purify our hearts so that we can worship together today, so that we can hear your word together today, and we can interact in your word with each other in a way that is, is healthy and wholesome for each of us. We thank you for each one here today. We thank you for allowing us to come and to, to meet and to uh, get here safely. We thank you for each part of our services, Lord, for our Sunday school. We thank you for our teachers there. We thank you for our praise time. We thank you for the offering that's been received and, and for the worship that's been extended to you. And now we pray that you would help us to, with open hearts, receive your word and your truth and to rightly apply it in our lives. We pray for those who aren't with us, uh, especially because of sickness and health, we pray that you would watch over and bless them. We think uh, about Beverly for her healing and continued uh, uh, blessing in her life. We think about uh, my dad. We pray that you would watch over and be with him and bless him and strengthen him as well. And for those who are here who still have various uh, ailments and, and uh, challenges, we pray that you would just continue to, to watch over and be with and protect and bless us. Now, we thank you in Jesus' name. I want to start off with an apology somewhere under the impression that it being fifth Sunday today that uh, Ryan Christopher would be preaching today. So if you came because of that, um, I apologize to you. He won't be preaching today. As we normally work out, he is preaching every other Sunday, uh, every other month on the last Sunday. And this just happens to be... Um, the Sunday, the month that he doesn't preach, but the fifth Sunday that happens to be Singspiration. So uh, I apologize to you. You won't be able to hear him today. So come back tonight, and you can hear him playing in a part of the music. But tonight, today, you're stuck with me. Colossians. <laughs> Some people are so generous. Thank you. Colossians chapter 3 continues in um, our series today. This is actually the 14th uh, message in that series. And my prayer is through those 14 messages that God will be changing my heart and yours through his word. Today we get into more specifics, but I want us to remember the context of what um, this chapter 3 and going into chapter 4 involves in. It's a context of sanctification. Now, that seems like a big theological word. It, 
it simply means that those who believe in Christ, those who know Christ, are now to live with Christ in them, and their lives are changed and continue to change. So it's a continual growth that God produces in the lives of those who he has saved. It is something that happens, it's a process that happens to everyone who trusts Christ. You grow in Christ. So trusting Christ is, is the beginning. We've, we've been born again, but living in Christ is the bearing fruit or the evidence of that new birth in our everyday lives. And so verses, today we're concentrating on verses 18 of chapter 3 into verse 1 of chapter 4. And we're reminded of why scriptures can demand and command us to live a certain way. And that's because of what Christ has already done for us. So in verse 9, he says this. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. In other words, we can begin to change how we live and what we do, how we practice in our lives. We can, we can stop lying. Why? Because, it says... You have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. I'm also reminded here that that old self is still with us, and that's why we struggle in this growth or this sanctification process. Because we're fighting against that old nature, those old habits and practices that we once lived in. But we also are putting on the new self, it says seeing that you have uh, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. What is this new self? Well, the, 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 the hint to that is given in this verse. It's created in the image of its creator. Our creator is God himself, and that new self is he has put in us a new nature so that we might live differently than we lived under the old self. And we're to live in the image of our creator, in the image of God. Since God is truth and does not lie, we are not to lie. Since God is holy and is distinct and apart from sin, we are to live in a holy manner. Now, God is perfect in all those ways, and we are being perfected in all of those ways. So he gets specific now in verse 18, and he says, Wives, submit to your husbands. 19, husbands, love your wives. 20, children, obey your parents. 21, fathers, do not provoke your children. 22, bondservants, obey. And then in verse 1 of chapter 4, masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. He gets into specifics and he begins to show what this looks like in different areas of our lives. And before I get into that, look at verse 17, though. 
Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Here's another clue that just as the salvation part of our walk with God is all focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, so the sanctification part of our walk with God is all dependent and focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, whatever you do, or in everything that you do, whether it's in word or deed, whether it's in thought or action, everything then, and what he's saying here is, everything that we do as part of this sanctified living that we're called to, all of sanctified living then is to be done how? He says, he uses this phrase, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? That reminds us of how we were told to pray. We were told to pray, right, in Jesus' name. What does that mean? Well, some, some of us have just kind of summed it up to say we just tack on in Jesus' name after, after whatever we want to ask for, and there we go. We pray in Jesus' name. But somehow we know that's empty, and we know it, needs, it means much more than just tacking on in Jesus' name. What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? What does it mean to do everything then in Jesus' name? The same thing. It means that we recognize, in the case of prayer, that we have the opportunity and the privilege to pray because of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for us. And we're to pray in, in, in line with who he is, what he's accomplished, what he desires, and what he's going to do. Right? We pray according to his will, right? We pray according to who he is, what he has done for us, what he's doing right now for us, what he desires to happen in our lives and in all of his creation, and what he's going to do. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. We recognize Jesus then is the center of all that we do now, and we have the privilege of having prayer and relationship with God because of Jesus, and that all that, he, he, all that we will do is focused then and because of him, because of his authority, because of his power, based on his will and what he's going to do in the future. And we pray according to that. That's what it means to pray then in Jesus' name. What then does it mean to live or to do everything in Jesus' name? What does it mean to be sanctified or live a sanctified? By the way, that word simply means separated and apart for God, set apart for God. What does it mean to do that, to live that way in Jesus' name? It means that we live apart for God based on who Jesus is, based on what Jesus has done, what, based on what Jesus is doing right now. What is he doing right now? He's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, and he's pleading for us. So if I re realize and recognize that Jesus is praying to God the Father on my behalf, what does that do for my living the life that he wants me to live? It encourages me. It motivates me. It makes me understand that then that is possible 
because of what Jesus has done, what he is doing, what he's going to do. We're reminded in the very first part of this chapter that Jesus is coming back and we need to be looking for his return. We're going to, ha- we're going to share that part of our salvation. We talked about the salvation part. We talked about the sanctification part. We talked about the glorification part. When Christ returns, we're going to share in that with him. And so we live in this sanctified walk. We live with Jesus' authority, his power, what he is, what he has done, what he will do, what his will is. We live that way with all that in mind. He just sums it up, says, do do everything and everything you do in the name of Jesus. That's a powerful thought, isn't it? You breathe because of the authority Jesus has and the power that he has and because of his will for you to breathe another time and his purpose in you living to live and breathe another breath and to live another moment based on his purpose and his will. So we recognize that. So now he gets into some specifics. Each one of these roles that he lists, and they are roles, role of a wife, role of a husband, a role of a child, a role of a father, the role of a bondservant, the role of a master. Um, Each of these roles, as he tells us how we should live if we are in one of these roles, how we are to act, Each one of those statements needs to be prefaced by the statement in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ. Remember we said raised don't mean that you grew up in a household and and you lived under the roof. It means you've been resurrected with Jesus. And so those who trust in Christ, those who Christ has, has given new life to, have in fact in some way experienced his resurrection. They have new life. They were dead. They are now alive. Since that, or if that has happened to you, then, he says, as a wife, verse 18, submit to your husband, as is fitting to the Lord. And then he says to husbands, verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, he's very selective in what he says. In other words, he doesn't try to say everything that a wife should do and everything that a husband ought to do, but he lists some key things for some key or some very important reasons. He's saying, Christ has changed your life. You are now going to walk in accordance with his plan and his purpose for you. And that's what it means to live a sanctified life, a life that's separated unto God, a holy life. He says it this way to wives, submit. Why does he use that term? Why does he say that? In fact, you know, some folks, especially today, get angry with that term. God didn't call us to submit. And why does he say submit to the wife and not submit to the husband? Why does he say love to the husband and not say love to the wife? 
Is there a case where the wife is not to love her husband and the husband never submits to the wife? Is that the case? Certainly not. We see in the companion scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, right after that in verse 21, he says, submit one to another. So there's a submitting one to another. We see all throughout scripture, he says, you are to love one another, right? Not just the husband towards the wife, but the wife is to the husband as well. But there's a reason for the emphasis here. There's a reason for the emphasis. He emphasizes because of the caution and the danger that we have in these particular roles. The role, the caution to the wife is to submit to a husband because that's, first of all, it emphasizes the structure and the order that God has given in the home. Structure and order belongs in every area of our lives. In fact, we, we, we recognize it and we see it. Everything has order and structure. In other words, there's different parts, different functions, but one purpose. Different parts, different functions, but one purpose. We see that in our own bodies, right? Our bodies. And in fact, uh, Jesus uses the body to speak of his people connected to him and connected to God the Father. Our bodies have different parts that perform different functions, but they have one purpose, or they are to function in one purpose when they do right. He said God's walking in his right mind. In other words, he's doing what his mind is telling him to do that makes sense, right? We see a person as a, 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 a coordinated athlete or a coordinated musician is, is because they can make their body function and produce things that are beautiful because their parts are working together. And so we see many things that, that need order and function. And so the home also requires that order and function. And where are we going to get the definition or, or, or the proper order and function from, you're going to get it from the designer. The one who designed it knows how that is to be used. You know, if your car isn't working right and you think you have a part in your engine that's not needed and you're just going to snatch it out and not use it anymore, before you do that, you need to talk to mechanic, first of all, because he knows something about the design or the engineer who designed it to say, hey, this is why that part was in there. And this is the function of it. And so if you choose to bypass it or eliminate it, know that you're going to miss this function. So go to the designer and find the function and how it's designed to work in proper order. In our businesses, we have structure and order. If you don't have structure and order, you're going to have chaos and you won't get, you won't, you won't arrive at the desired uh, 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 thing that you want to get. So in our businesses, we see that on the job, not everybody does the same thing. In fact, we, we joke when we see everybody, you know, uh, you, you walk around the construction crew and you often see all these trucks parked on the side of the road and you see 10 men or women standing around and one person working. You go, wow, right? 10 city workers, right? Government workers, right? Ten people standing looking and one person working. You know, something ain't right there. It ain't going the way that it should. Everybody should have a, have a role and be working in that function. doesn't mean that they all do the same thing. In fact, they don't normally all do the exact same thing. 
but that operates in business. It operates in the military, we understand that. That there are different roles for different people and they are to function accordingly. We see that beautifully displayed in, 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 in music, in bands, in orchestras. We see the different instruments and different musicians who play those instruments, and they have a different role in the music that they produce. They don't all play the same thing. They don't all play at the same time, uh, uh, and they don't all play the same instrument. But they function together, and they have one purpose. Again, who determines that order and that structure? Well, look to the one who wrote that music. I mentioned athletics, drama, and dance, all these things that, that need or, or require a coordinated effort. On a team, not everyone performs the same function. They have different roles, but they come together and they do and get the job done that needs to get done. So in the family, the wife, the word of God says, is to submit because that is, it, it shows the purpose and the function that God has set in the home. He has set the man as leader in the home. Some people think I need to apologize when I say that. I don't know why that is. If you got a problem with that, talk to the designer. If you do have a problem with it, that, let's talk about it because it's probably some, some misfunction that has happened in your life that causes you to challenge God's design. Something hasn't worked properly. You need to relook at that. But you don't, need, you don't need to change the design. God did that. We need to see how we function within that design. He says to the wife, he says, submit because there is a danger and there's a caution for her to buck or to, to resist leadership. Now, that's not just a caution for the wife because we, we note that because th there's many areas in our lives that we are all called to submit in one way or another. And when we don't do that, it's because we rebel against the design and, and, and the leadership and, and the function that God has set or the, the designer has set. He says, submit. In other words, he's saying, if you are risen with Christ, if you share in Christ's resurrection and you function in the role of a wife, note and, 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 and align yourself with God's purpose, and that is to follow the leadership in the home. And he says to husbands, Love. Again, he doesn't go through a whole list of all that's important in being a husband, but he, he mentions one of the things that is a danger to those in leadership. The danger to those in leadership is that they puff themselves up as leaders and they lead on a pedestal of, I am the leader, you must do. And so he says, love and don't be harsh. He didn't say, don't lead. He says, love, in other words, as you lead, love. He says, I haven't changed or re 
appreciate the function that I put you there for, but I want you to perform that function in the way that I intended for it to be performed under love. And again, that human danger, that sinful temptation for us, we were in the role of leadership is to, 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 to lead out of out of out of our demands instead of what is best for those who we lead out of love. And so he emphasizes that with the husband. Love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. As I stated before, he's particularly dealing with the roles that's been given, and that's why he doesn't list a whole bunch of things. He doesn't have time to list everything, and and, and that's why he emphasizes those things that, are a danger. To the one who's, who's under leadership, the danger, the temptation is to rebel against leadership. To those who are in leadership, the, the, the temptation, uh, 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 the caution is to, to rule in your own place or to be harsh in your ruling without love and consideration. He says to children, obey. Obey. We're simplified. He says, those who are under the structure of the home as children, if you've been risen with Christ, if Christ is in fact leading your life, if you've trusted in him, then in your role as a child, then you are to obey. He adds this, for this pleases the Lord. This is in line with God's will and his purpose and his function for you. Would you notice that God's purpose or the function is not the same for every person? He doesn't tell a husband, now act like the wife. He doesn't tell the wife, now you be the husband. He doesn't tell the child to say, you are now to act like a parent. And you all three have equal and, and, and the same function. He doesn't say that. Individually, as individuals, yes, you are equal, but you have different functions and different roles. And God has given that. He says, as a child, it's your function to obey. It's not an option. It's not negotiable. It is to obey. By the way, he doesn't say to parents, come down and be equal with your child. He says, no, parents, I want you to lead. Father, I want you to take the leadership in that role. And children, you are to obey. We live in a, in, 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 in a, in a climate and a culture where we want to ask our children what they think they should do. God didn't ask you to ask them what you think they should do. I'm surprised at how many parents said, well, you know, I didn't want to make my children go to church. Really? You wouldn't make them eat? You wouldn't make them go to school? You wouldn't make them get dressed properly before going out in in the weather? You wouldn't demand that? Then why not? And today, we, you know, we, we, especially when our, when our kids get older and get to those teenage years, we want to be liked by our children. Nothing wrong with being admired and liked. But God says, 
look, there is a role that I have for you, and let's function within those roles. So he says to children, obey. He says, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Comes back to fathers, because there's a key thing here. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I happen to think that all of these are linked together. And when it's happening properly in a home, you'll see a connection between all of them. There's not an excuse for the children not to obey, not an excuse for the fathers, uh, for, the, for the husbands not to lead in love. It's not an excuse for the wives not to submit, but we do know that they're all linked, and when you're doing your role properly, it lines up and makes it a little bit more easier for the others to fall in line as well. So he comes back to the father because as a leader, their role is critical. And he says, fathers, what does he say? It's not a positive this time. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children. In other words, it's not a question as to whether or not you're a leader in the home. God has established that already. He says, in leading love and in leading, don't provoke. There's so much application there. I think we spend a lifetime kind of fleshing that out and seeing what that looks like. I know as a father, I've done that, and I continue to do that. And as a leader in the church, I continue to, to look at myself and say, in what ways does God want me not to provoke? And I think in, in, in one of the most important ways is that I actually live what I preach. And I actually show by example what I want others to, to practice in front of me. He doesn't say shift the scene and change your responsibility, but he says, what he's saying is practice or, or, or lead in such a way that your, your children are not provoked by your direction and your leadership. Lead in that way. Some would say lead how you would want to be lead, led, but I, it's hard to say that because some folks just don't want to be led. They refuse to be led. But he says, lead in a way that doesn't bring provocation, does not, does not make it hard for others to actually do what God wants them to do or, or to, to, to follow you because of what you have done and because of who you are. Don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So you have a role and encouraging by proper behavior and by modeling in the right way so your children can follow that example. He goes on to, from in the home to outside of the home, but he's really, he's really dealing with um, culture in general. These are some things that I see as a part of every culture uh, on the face of the earth. So he deals with bond servants. Some wrestle with the term bond servant. You know, the Greek word is doulos. Sometimes it is interpreted as slave, sometimes as servant. Here's a bond servant, some kind of in the middle of that. But, you know, really, I don't see that as critical at all because he's not. He's not trying to project a perfect relationship 
that this person has or even a right or respectful. He's saying, when you are in this role, this is how I want you to behave. Some would say, well, since slavery is not legitimate, then those under slavery didn't need to act in a certain way. Some would say, well, in our society today, we would equate this to an employee and employer relationship. I think you can say all that, but I think you can say it even stronger that even if you were a slave, and God looks down on that, he still expects you, since you've been risen with Christ, to live in a certain way. In other words, it's not subject to our circumstances. Let me, let me bring up the broader point. It's our sanctification is not subject to circumstances. That we exhibit the mind of Christ, that, that we be more and more like God, is what God wants us to be regardless of how others treat us. That's most exemplified in Christ himself. On the cross, he never sinned against those who sinned against him in a way that none of us can ever be sinned against. The perfect God-man suffering at the hands of wicked human beings never example to us. So when we bring it down to where we are, we have to admit in our culture, we don't really have to deal with half of the nonsense that's been in past cultures. So he's saying, look, if you are in a position where you work for others, regardless of how you define that, here's how I want you to behave. And all of us in some way are in a position, or most of us in some way, in a position where we work for others. What does he focus on there? Another word we don't like, obey. You know, notice how those words we don't like, submit, obey. He says, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Then he tells us how we ought to do this, what this ought to look like. Not by way of eye service. Eye service has to do with things that are done because they can be seen. Things that are done because they can be seen. Don't simply do what God asked you to do because others might see it. Do it even when it's not seen by others. In other words, you know, don't just sweep or vacuum the floor because your boss is watching you. Do it right when he's not watching you. Don't do it because the cameras are on at work now. And oh my goodness, we got cameras all over now. I better do. I don't want them to see me not doing it. Doing it, do it because it's your responsibility to do and you're going to take it seriously. So he says, not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers. Doing things to please people in contrast to pleasing God. 
If pleasing people does not violate pleasing God, you probably don't have an issue. But when you're saying when you're pleasing people and that's your motivation and you don't have the higher motivation of pleasing God, then something then is wrong with your motivation. Don't th do things simply to please someone who, who, who you may want to act a certain way towards you. But do things to please God. He goes into that more specifically when he says, with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Is your fear, your respect is toward the Lord. He even gets in more in the next verse. He says, um, whatever you do, work heartily. I could preach a whole sermon on that. Work heartily. I don't care what the union says. Work heartily, he says, because you're not working for the man. You're working for the Lord. Ask for the Lord and not for men, he says. So he says, work hard. And we are in a, in a culture where actually um, many of us don't have hard physical work. Now, some do. Some do. But even those who do have their work made easier by technology and, and equipment and such, so... I can't say that we work as hard as generations before us have worked, but some do have hard physical work. And he says, nothing wrong with hard physical work. It's a good thing. It's all right to sweat. That's why we got soap and deodorant. Amen. It's all right to get dirty. That's why we wear work clothes. It's all right. He says, when you work, do it heartily. We, 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 so, so this is coming... Um, from God's purpose for us. We notice in, in, the, in the garden, when God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave them work to do. Nothing, wasn't nothing wrong with the garden. They didn't even have weeds at that time. He gave them work to do. Before sin was introduced into creation, God gave man work to do because he knew there was something in us. He created us in his image, and he works, therefore we ought to work. Something wrong with the mentality, and I've dealt with several individuals who, who they don't even know why they struggle. They struggle because they do, they, they make every effort to get out of work. Instead of trying to work hard, we wait for these big settlements to come down so we can make this big money, or get, not make, but we just get this, 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 this money so we won't have to work. That's not the mentality that God has placed. He said work heartily. Work hard. Don't be afraid to work. And don't make your basis for your working hard is because everybody else is working hard. Why? He says, do it as to the Lord. See, they don't know that God is watching and they don't care. But you know and you care and you ought to reflect that in your work. You ought to work hard. You know, the greatest testimony I think believers ought to have is that on their job is two things. They keep their word, and they work hard. They work hard, not because they want to get paid, not because they want to get a raise, not even because they want their companies to do well. They work hard because they want to please the Lord. So whether you mop floors, clean toilets, uh, or run a, a huge company, says work hard and work hard for the right reason for 
the Lord. Why he gives you some motivation, verse 24, knowing that for, from the Lord you'll receive an inheritance as your reward. First motivation is a positive one, is that God rewards. God rewards those who are walking in obedience with him. You need to know that because in this world you won't always see that. So you need to know that. God tells us that straight off because God rewards and he doesn't reward the same way that man rewards. And so you don't always see it and you don't always feel it. God rewards. You need to know that. That's, that's kind of a walk by faith thing. You need to understand that God rewards. That needs to be motivating you to continue because you will work at times when it seems that nobody else notices and you will work at times when others notice and ignore and don't give you the props for doing what you've done. In fact, they'll give it to somebody else. But you need to know the truth is that God rewards. It's, it's, it's interesting and it's encouraging to know the one who sees all does reward. And he sees it as it is. He rewards. The second part of it is he punishes as well. In verse 25 it says this, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There is no partiality. In other words, God brings justice. God brings vengeance. You won't always see it here. It won't always amount to, 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 to dollars or respect or being right. But you need to know God both rewards and God judges. And the outcome of that in our lives is what? We work hard. We work hard. We work diligently in the task that God has given us. We do it faithfully. We do it to please him because we understand that he sees he rewards and he judges. And so it encourages me because you won't always see the wrongdoers around you getting their right justice. You won't always see that in this life. In fact, the cry of the saints all the way from Genesis to Revelation is, Lord, when, you will, make, when will you make things right? That cry starts with Jesus himself. I came to life, I came to earth to be a savior. I was put to death by wicked men, and God has not yet made that right. But he will. He will. What does he say? <laughs> the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. Implied there is it's God who's doing the payback. Other scriptures make that explicit in Romans 12. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. He doesn't say, I think about it. I might one day, you know, I might just forgive everybody and just let them go. No, he says, I will repay. I will repay. And then it says in this verse, there's no partiality. In other words, just like in, in this life, he might get away if he knows certain people, Right? If he has a certain position on a job, he might get away with doing certain things, right? If he has certain characteristics, he might get away with doing, she might get away with doing certain things. But God says, no, I'm not fooled by your, your pretty face and your long hair and your pleasing voice. I, I'm going to treat it like it is. I'm going to pay it back the way it is. There's no partiality. So we're encouraged by that. 
But again, keeping in context, the, the context of living godly now breaks down into our everyday lives. And he says, whatever role that God has placed you in, I want you to live out godliness in it. Get to the last role. He says, masters, verse 1. Treat your bondservants justly and fairly. Now, we can translate that again to, to, to employers or those who have positions of authority over others in the workplace. Uh, but but whatever, whatever it is, it applies to all. Whether it's literally a master of a slave, he's saying this. Treat that individual justly and fairly. Why? knowing that you also have a master in heaven. In other words, he's saying, you might be, be a believer in this role. But remember, your behavior in this role is based on who you are in Christ. You have a master in heaven. You recognize that that guides your every thought. It guides your every action. Notice he says justly and fairly. It doesn't mean that you're going to promote Christians and, 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 and not promote somebody who's a Muslim or not a Christian or something else. It's no, you treat them justly and fairly. Fellow Christian does not do right and deserves punishment. Then as one in, in, in authority, you'll be wrong not to do that justly and fairly. Who does that reflect? Look at the verse before it. God shows no partiality. It reflects God himself. Who pays back? Who rewards? It isn't that what supervision is? Isn't that what, what being, being over someone in the workplace is to reward and to punish? rightly and justly and so pattern your behavior and pattern in fact your whole department or your whole company in such a way that people know that right things are going to be rewarded and wrong things are going to be dealt with in a proper way all because what because you've been risen with Christ all because you now are, are, are living in ways that you are putting off the old self and you are putting on the new self that is patterned after its creator, God. God is saying we are to live differently. A couple notes. We close. Sanctification is independent of role an assignment. In other words, it's required of every believer. No one role is holier than another. In other words, stop saying, you know, I would live more holy if I had my boss's position, or I would live more holy if I was married. I would live more holy if I was single. I would live more holy if I was a husband in a home instead of a wife or if I was a wife instead of a husband, if I wasn't under as a child. I would live more holy if I got a promotion. No, God says, right where you are right now, I want you to live for me. In the role that you are right now, See, when, when Christ saved you, he changed who you are and he changed how you behave, but not necessarily what your role is. 
and he placed you right back where you are and said, now, because of me, I want to live, I want you to live in light of who I am, in light of who you are because of me. But I also note that sanctification is unique within the role. In other words, the holy living for one person is exemplified or, or, or showed in a different way than it is for another person because of their role. God didn't ask the supervisor at work to disregard his responsibility and submit to the ones under him. He says guide and lead. He didn't require the father in a home to become the child. He says, I want you to stay in your role and live out that role in accordance with my purpose and accordance with the character that I have given for you to live by. So it may look different for different individuals. So you shouldn't necessarily try to be like somebody else. You should try to function in the role that God has given you in the way that God requires. What is that role? And what are some of the dangers that you run up against in your role? Here in Scripture, he's outlined some of those. Be mindful of that and honor Christ in all that you do. You can kind of summarize this in verse 17 of chapter 3. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whether you're a wife or a husband or a father or a child or a servant or a master, an employee or employer, a business owner or one who's lotus lowest in the totem pole on the job, whatever position you are at, God says, serve me and do what you do because you serve me. Honor me in all that you do. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus because of who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, what his purpose is for your life, what he's going to do in the future. Do everything with that in mind. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for challenging us in specific ways. We pray, Lord, as we go from this place, those challenges will not be unheeded, but we'll take those with us. We'll think through, we'll pray over, and we would walk in the ways that you've called us to walk. We'll be, we'll be particular about the role that you've called us to. We'll be mindful of some of the dangers in that role, and we'll be sure to honor you and to glorify you as you require in that particular role. Mindful, Lord, that you are Lord over everything and that those who don't submit to you will give account. We would pray, Lord, that any individual here today that hasn't trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior, your Holy Spirit was so challenged. Speak to, minister, rebuke, and challenge in such a way they come and trust in you. 
And those who trust in you will be challenged in that same way to live in the way that you would have them. Trust in you to give the power, the ability that comes only from you to walk in the way that you have designed for them and for us. In Jesus' name we pray.